Isaiah 25, verses 1 to 10. Yahweh, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name. For you have accomplished wonders, plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. For you have turned the city into a pile of rocks, a fortified city into ruins. The fortress of barbarians is no longer a city. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, a strong people will honor you. The cities of violent nations will fear you. For you have been a stronghold for the poor, a stronghold for the needy person in his distress, a refuge from the rain, a shade from the heat. When the breath of the violent is like rain against a wall, like heat in a dry land, you subdue the, up, you subdue the uproar of barbarians. As the shade of a cloud cools the heat of the day, so he silences the song of the violent. The Lord of hosts will prepare a feast for all the peoples on this mountain, a feast of aged wine, choice meat, finely aged wine. On this mountain, he will destroy the burial shroud, the shroud over all the peoples, the sheet covering all the nations, he will destroy death forever. The Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face and remove his people's disgrace from the whole earth. For the Lord has spoken. On that day it will be said, look, this is our God. We have waited for him and he has saved us. This is the Lord, we have waited for him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. For the Lord's power will rest on this mountain, but Moab will be trampled in his place as straw is trampled in a dung pile. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading is from Revelation. Um, Chapter 21, so if you turn to page 1140 of the Church Bibles, and I'll be reading through to chapter 22, verse 5. Chapter 21, starting at verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea no longer existed. I also saw the holy city. New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief crying and pain will exist no longer because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. He also said, right, because these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, it is done. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give water as a gift to the thirsty from the spring of life. The victor will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowards, unbelievers, vile, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then one of the seven angels, who had held the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues, came and spoke with me. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. He then carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, arrayed with God's glory. Her radiance was like a very precious stone, like a jasper stone, bright as crystal. The city had a massive high wall with 12 gates. 12 angels were at the gates. The names of the 12 tribes of Israel's sons were inscribed on the gates. There were three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. The city wall had 12 foundations, and the 12 names of the Lamb's 12 apostles were on the foundations. The one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city is laid out in a square. Its length and width are the same. He measured the city with the rod at 12,000 stadia. Its length, width, and height are equal. Then he measured its walls, 144 cubits according to human measurement, which the angel used. The building material of its wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the city wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth saradinx, the sixth carnelian, the seven chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates are twelve pearls. Each individual gate was made of a single pearl. The broad street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. I did not see a sanctuary in it, because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its sanctuary. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, because God's glory illuminates it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Each day, its gates will never close because it will never be night there. They will bring the glory and honour of the nations into it. Nothing profane will ever enter it. No one who does what is vile or false, but only those written in the Lamb's book of life. Then he showed me the river of living water, sparkling like crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the broad street of the city. The tree of life was on both sides of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for healing the nations, and there will, be no longer, there will no longer be any curse. 
The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his slaves will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will no longer exist, and people will not need lamplight or sunlight, because the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, now... We're looking for a thing tonight. R-S-T-L-N-E, as we like to say. All right. Pretty good head start. Let's have three more consonants and a vowel. F. One. D. Two. H. And your vowel. An A. Well, let's see what we come up with here. shot here and there are two of you to talk it out it's a thing if well, they seem happy let's find out 10 seconds good luck expert advice i believe that is correct <laughs> they don't even know what they got this could be anything this could be like a fried chicken you want to know what you got well you're all excited you haven't won anything yet. Oh, now you can yell. <laughs> Rebecca and Elijah fall head over heels with $30,000. They're quite excited, aren't they? I just did a, a Google search for excited people, and that's what came up. Um, uh, my name's Andy. I'm one of the pastors here. They don't let me uh, preach at 5 p.m. Off, very often, so uh, sorry about that. Um, Tonight, uh, we're looking at heaven. We're looking at this great chapter, Revelation 21. It's actually a a two-parter sermon series, but you only get part one, so you have to listen online if you want part two. But this is a great uh, chapter to look at. And it's my goal and my prayer this evening uh, to raise our excitement levels about heaven, to get us excited about uh, what the end destination is for those who trust in Jesus. And because it can be difficult to get excited about heaven, can't it? Heaven seems this very distant, abstract thing in the future. And so we focus on the here and now. And we get, up, uh, get caught up in our problems and the worries of tomorrow. What's the uh, image that comes into your head when you hear the word heaven? Clouds, right? I know it. Clouds and harps and man-babies and man-babies playing harps. It's just uh, weird and abstract and distant. And you see yourself as this uh, wispy spirit. Uh, you might uh, be around churches more often and, and, and for some time. And you might uh, think of heaven as an eternal church service. It's been described as an eternal church service. I love church. But that is pretty lame, isn't it? Spending eternity in church. Heaven shouldn't be this thing that we have to enjoy. It should be something that we enjoy. Uh, But the real uh, problem comes when we have this abstract, distant uh, view of heaven. Our suffering and our problems uh, often seem eternal rather than temporal, as they should be. And Jesus all too often can seem like this cruel slave master rather than the sovereign saviour that he is. This morning we're going to look at Revelation 
21. And you might have uh, get, seen as, uh, as it was read that it reads a bit like a Salvador Dali painting. You know, the paintings with the wilted clocks and the trombone elephants and that kind of thing. Uh, what we have to do is remember that this is apocalyptic uh, literature, that uh, it's a rich collection of symbolic imagery. It's actually jam-packed full of images from the Old Testament. So if you've got one of those um, posh Bibles at home with all the, the references down the middle, spend some time looking them all up, reading the context, and letting this uh, vision hit you over the head uh, as it should. Uh, The function of Revelation 21, the purpose of it is to make heaven, the new creation, just that little bit sharper, that little bit real for us, and to see Jesus for who he truly is, the good, loving, sovereign Savior. So we're going to take a whistle-stop tour of this amazing chapter. We can't get through it all, so do spend some time reading it and uh, mulling it over if you can as you go from this building tonight. I've got just three uh, simple observations for us this evening. We're going to have four, but we run out of time. Uh, We're going to have three simple observations. And the first one is that we see a whole new world, a whole new world. And that's verses one to eight. I'm going to read verse one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea no longer existed. The first thing I, I want to say is that the Bible uh, doesn't, really talk, doesn't really use the term heaven as we use it. The, uh, we use heaven for this final destination uh, thing to describe the final destination. But the Bible doesn't use the term heaven to describe that. Uh, you read through the Bible and uh, heaven is used to describe the visible skies. It's also used to describe the invisible realm. Uh, where God and Jesus are now, and where those who die in Christ go to be with Christ. That's the the promise of the gospel, that you go to be with Christ. It's where the Christian inheritance is. It's where our blessings are. It's where Jesus is now. But Revelation 21, do you notice, it's talking about a day in the future uh, when Jesus will come back, when heaven will come down to earth and incredibly transform our world, create this new world, combine all the blessings of heaven with this new world, a new cosmos, if you like. The books call it a new creation, a completely new world. Do you notice there's no cliche clouds or harps here? It's just real and physical and amazing. Just look at how amazing this new world is. Verse 4, we see that it's a world where God himself will wipe away our tears. Imagine that. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, imagine God wiping away your tears, his breath on your face, the touch of his hanky. I don't know whether he's a hanky man or a Kleenex guy, but he will wipe away your tears and he will stop them forever. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer because the previous things have passed away. Do you see what's happening? The very fabric that makes this world so hard, the things that hurt us, the things that make us cry, the very fabric of that is being undone, being completely remade. Really quite unbelievable, isn't it, as you read this 
amazing, rich, visual chapter. It really is unbelievable. That's why I think verse 5, where God steps in and speaks up, and he says, these words are faithful and true. Write them down, John. The evangelist, the Aussie evangelist, John uh, Chapman, said that it's uh, hard to get Australians to believe in heaven and want to go to heaven because Australia is so much like it. There's a reason why my family and I live in Australia and not in the UK. Um, And that is true, isn't it? It's true. Australia is pretty good. But I don't need to tell you that Australia is broken with all its beauty and its amazing lifestyle. This country is broken. I was reminded uh, 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 of that on holidays just recently. We came back on Friday night and uh, we were stood last week looking at this amazing beach. It was incredible. The sun was up. It rained the next day, but the sun was up. It was an amazing beach. And I thought, wow, how good is God? How good is Australia? How good is this creation? And there's a, literally, as I was thinking that, a brown snake slithered five meters in front of me, just where the kids were playing the previous day. And then I thought, oh, yeah, it is broken, isn't it? And then I looked to the beach, and uh, the, the surf is so dangerous that there is only a 10-meter section in which you can swim or you will die. And then, quite soberingly, we got in the car and we put on the radio. And on the radio was a story of a 12-year-old girl who'd been battered to death by her mother's boyfriend. Just 40 minutes from where we were staying. Terrible, isn't it? I don't need to tell you that Australia is broken. You will know that it's broken. You will know the hurt that is in this world. You will feel the hurt. You will have the scars. Friends, the good news is is that God tells us that he will fix up this broken world and make a whole new world. Uh, The prophet Isaiah, uh, we had Isaiah read tonight, um, uh, an earlier chapter says that uh, an infant will play beside the cobra's pit and a toddler will put his hand into a snake's den and not get hurt. That's how good this world, this new world will be. That's how transformed it will be. Imagine Australia without snake danger. That's New Zealand, isn't it? <laughs> New Zealand. It's not just the snake threats that will be removed. Did you see uh, verse 8? But the cowards, unbelievers, vile murderers, uh, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. You see, to create this uh, new world, God has uh, not only got to fix up this world, he's got to get rid of all the rubbish. He's got to get rid of all the hurt and all the things that have rebelled against him. Uh, and you read that list and you think, well, I see that. It's good that all of these uh, people will not be there. It's an incredible incentive to keep trusting Jesus, isn't it? But it's also a scary list, isn't it? It's a scary list because we all know that on our own, none of us will qualify to get into this new creation on our own. Based on our own works and on our rebellious hearts, we'd all experience what John calls this second death. It's a horrible term. Probably there is no more terrifying image in the Bible. A terrifying image of eternity cut off from God. And this picture uh, that is being painted here of this perfect world. 
Imagine all that hurts you uh, in this world, just being surrounded by that for eternity. It's an awful picture. But to the one who trusts in Jesus to the end, they will enter this new creation, this whole new world. Well, we zoom uh, from the the world to the city, and that's our next point this evening, that we see an invincible city. That's verses 9 to 21, but verse 2 sets it up. I'll read verse 2. I also saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride, adorned for her husband. Do you spot the two images that are used to describe what comes down from heaven? Do you spot them? There's a, a city and there's a bride. And again, we get this Salvador Dali bride city thing going in, going on in our minds. And you're going, what on earth is going on here? But what it is, is a picture of God's united ransomed people. You see, God's people are pure and beautiful like a bride made pure and beautiful by the blood of the Lamb. And God's people are the righteous city of God, the holy city, made holy by the death of Christ on the cross. And then in verses uh, 9 and 10, the angel takes John up a mountain and gives him this mountaintop guided tour around the the bride city. Um, And you see how just how incredible it is. We've got a a three-year-old son called Arthur, and his uh, two new favorite words are awesome and ginormous. Everything is awesome, ginormous. Dad, you've got a ginormous nose. I didn't think I had a ginormous nose. Anyway, those two words sum this city up pretty well, don't they? Have a look at it. Verse 11, we see that it's arrayed with the glory of God. Verse 12, her radiance like a precious stone, like jasper stone, bright as crystal. Verse 18, we see the city itself made out of gold that is so pure, it's clear. I think that's the kind of uh, alchemy of the day, the unobtainable purity, clear gold. Uh, Verse 19 and 20, we see jasper walls covered in every kind of bling you can imagine. And then in verse 21, did you spot them? The pearly gates. Uh, It's an incredible image, this extravagant image. It's awesome. This city. My wife and I um, once drove through a town in Victoria called Sunshine. It was an ironic name uh, because this place was horrible. It was, it was horrible. You could have had an earthquake in this joint and caused improvements. It was that horrible. But not this city. This city is perfect and it is awesome. Perfect, and it is awesome, and it is the culmination of God's building project, which which started in the book of Genesis and finished in the book of Revelation. Did you see? Did you notice? um, Did you notice the uh, what was on the walls and what was on the foundations? We see the uh, the the the, the names of the twelve tribes of Israel there, and the names of the twelve apostles. And what God is saying is that this building project has been going on throughout salvation history. And this city is the culmination of God's salvation story. It is awesome. Well, The city's awesomeness is only matched by its size. Do you notice how big this thing is? It's one big mama. 
She's massive. Verse 16. The city is 12,000 stadia wide. Now that's 1,900 kilometers in new money. That's wider than New South Wales, I think. And it's as high as it is wide. That is one massive city. Now, we should expect uh, God's city, the culmination of salvation history, to be one massive city. It's going to be full of God's people. That's what it meant to get this massive city, uh, masses and masses of people in God's city. I get that. It was verse 16 that gave me a bit of trouble. So you see, um, its length, width, and height are equal. It's a perfect cube. That gave me a bit of trouble when I was trying to work out, why a cube? Anyone know why a cube? Uh, No one's got it all day. Um, I'm encouraged by that. Um, There is one place in the Old Testament where there is a perfect cube, and that's in the Holy of Holies, in the temple, or the, the tabernacle before that. And the Holy of Holies, this cube, was the center where God lived. A priest would enter it. Uh, once a year after much spilt blood, much animal sacrifice. Uh, he went in once a year uh, to um, atone for the sins of the people. And what we get is a picture there of this very limited relationship with God. A priest going in once a year. And if you went into the Holy of Holies, you died. You couldn't play hide and seek there. A, a couple of guys did, and they died. They fell dead there and then because a sinful people cannot be in the presence of a holy God. Do you see what that means for uh, this new city, this cube city? This city is the new holy of holies. And when you live in the holy of holies, you enjoy God's presence and you enjoy God's protection. That's what I think we're meant to get out of this. You enjoy God's presence and you enjoy God's protection. No sin can enter. Anything detestable to God's perfect character is destroyed. Residents of this city enjoy complete security in the presence of God. I don't, want, I don't know what security measures you have at your place, but you need them, don't you, in this city. Just like our world, our city is broken. It's one of the best cities in the world. But live here long enough and you'll get mugged. You might get bashed on a Saturday night. You'll certainly get stabbed in the back in the office. It is broken. Not in the New Jerusalem, though. It's ginormous. And it is awesome. And one day, followers of Jesus will live and work there forever. We will work there with work that completely satisfies. We will live there in a place uh, where, the, where we will, will not get hurt, where we will uh, not get frustrated. Uh, we will live in complete sanctuary and fulfillment in the presence and the protection of the Lord. Incred- incredible and invincible city of God. Well, finally, and slightly more briefly, uh, we zoom from the world Uh, We zoom from the world to the city, to the people who live in that city. And we see an idyllic community, this new idyllic community. That's verses 22 to 27. But verse uh, 3 sets that up, so I'll read verse 3. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people. 
and God himself will be with them and be their God. The whole reason that this uh, new cosmos works is because God has kept, kept a promise that is as old as Abraham. He promised uh, that God himself would one day live again with his people. Because people were kicked out of God's presence in the garden. And ever since then, the quest has been back, back on to get God's people back in God's presence. That's what the, the Bible is all about. That's salvation history. And we see that fulfillment of that quest underlined here in verse 22. You see what it says? I did not see a sanctuary in it because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its sanctuary. What's missing from this new Jerusalem? The temple. The place where you met with God. Now for the temple not to be in Jerusalem is like having Sydney without the Opera House or New York without the Empire... um, Without the world, uh, what, what do they have? They don't have the World Trade Center. That's a, without the um, Statue of Liberty. Um, and the temple is not here because it's not needed. Did you spot? Uh, the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. God's people in God's place, under God's rule. The quest is completed. And what we see here is, This whole new idyllic community of God's people enjoying God forever. People from every nation, we read. The most powerful kings of the earth will be there. Everyone illuminated by the glory of God. Now, that's difficult to get your head around, isn't it? But I'm sure if you're a Christian here tonight, you would have gone through seasons uh, where you felt close to God and where you felt distant from God. Now, the Bible says that when you become a Christian, you're as close as you can ever be to God, but we feel distant, we feel close. Do you have those seasons? Well, friends, when we get into this new city, when we're part of this new community, we will be close as we will ever be. We will feel intimate and enjoy God, our sovereign Savior, for eternity. You won't get those dry days. You won't get those distant days. Friends, the community is there, but did you uh, did you notice? Um, oh, sorry. Do you did you notice what will not be there? You see, verse twenty-seven. Nothing profane will ever enter it. No one who does what is vile or false will be there. Did you ever watch the movie The Beach? Uh, it came out in two thousand. Starred Leonardo DiCaprio, and he went on this quest to find. The perfect beach. It was just rumors when he got to Thailand. And he went there because apparently there was this perfect beach and this perfect life and perfect surf there. He found out that it wasn't actually rumors, that it existed. He found it. And do you know what spoilt it? Anyone remember? The people spoilt it. Turned into a bloodbath. Horrendous place. It looked beautiful. But it was a horrendous because of the people. Well, verse 27, none of those people will enter this new community. Nothing profane uh, will ever enter it. No one who does what is vile or false. This city will be perfect. And that is an amazing prospect that nothing profane will enter into it. But again, it's a scary prospect, isn't it? Because no one on our own, no one on their own 
will have their passport stamped for this new city. None of us will get in. We've all done what is vile and false. See, on our own, by our works, we will be judged. And our pedigree and our performance will not get us in. We learn that we'll be judged by our works. But do you see the hope that we have in verse 27 also? Do you see who will be saved? Only those written in the Lamb's book of life. We will be judged by our works, but we will be saved by the book of the Lamb. And that is made possible by the blood of the Lamb. And entry into that book is open to anyone at any time. Citizenship of this new city is just a prayer away. And it's open to you tonight if you've never made that call before. Friends, I don't have any more kind of do this, do that application. I just want us to soak up this picture of the new creation, the final destination for the believer. And so to help us do that and help God apply his truth to our hearts by the Spirit, I'm gonna, we're going to have a, a song played now. It's really just the words of Revelation 21. It's quite cool. It's got some banjo in it. But what I'd love us to do is just sit, uh, pray. You can close your eyes if you like. And just let these words soak in. Let this picture of what the Apostle John has put before us soak in and see uh, what is ahead of you if you're a believer. And if you're not a believer, see what is on offer for you. Uh, through Jesus.